What we're looking at today is we're looking at Hebrews 13, verse 20 to 21, which is the, uh, the benediction that occurs at the end of Hebrews. If you've got a Bible, it'd be really good for you to open it up. Because I'm going to fly all over the place. This is kind of like going to be a best of Hebrews message with a benediction. And the title of it today is The One You've Been Looking For. There's a classic song by U2 called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. All right? We believe really strongly at the project that the one that you're looking for is God. And you can go across the whole of our culture, you can go across the whole of the world, and what you find is you find lots and lots of people looking for something. One of my sons said to me the other day, he said, Daddy, why do they always sing about love on the radio? And I think part of the reason why they sing about love on the radio, I said to him, is because I think for someone who doesn't follow Jesus, love is the highest level of profundity and meaning that you could have. Probably. But I think part of the reason why we sing about love and we sing about lost love and broken love is because we want a love that's profound. We want a love that's deep. We want a love that doesn't disappear. We want a love that doesn't fail us, that doesn't abandon us. And so we're in pursuit of love all the time. And we often go looking for love in all the wrong places. Isn't that true? I mean, St. Augustine himself said that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. You see, I think every single person on the planet, if you're here today and you don't follow Jesus, I want to say to you, Jesus is who you're looking for. You may not know that. You may think you're just looking for financial security. You're looking for Jesus. You're looking for a security that comes that that doesn't fade with money. It doesn't change with a financial crisis. You're looking for a love that doesn't change with your performance. That's what you really want. That's what the love songs sing about at their highest, isn't it? I've found a love that loves me all the time. And it's deep and it's profound. But we know in our world that we live in that love doesn't always stay like that. And we tend as human beings to love because someone's lovable. And what we actually need is we need someone who loves because he is love, not because someone else is lovable. Does it make sense? And that's who you're looking for. And I'd say that to everyone today, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, the one that you're looking for is God. That's who you're looking for. In all the moments where you can't cope and you go after something else, and in a sense, the Bible would say you prostitute yourself with another God. What you're really looking for is what God can provide. And what you're looking for is what God is. You're not just after what he gives, you're after him because he's made you to fit him. And when you desert him, if you're not a Christian here today, what you've actually got is you've got a vacuum and you've got a big hole in your life that you're not going to be able to fill with anything else. It'll be a black hole, you'll throw lots of other things in, but nothing will stick. You two sing, I've climbed highest mountains, I've run through the fields, only to be with you, only to be with you. And then later on in the song, they go on to sing, I still haven't found what I've been looking for. The whole of Hebrews, the writer has been telling you that God's the best. He's been saying Jesus is the best. A word that he's been particularly drawn to in Hebrews is the word better. He keeps saying he's better. What you need is Jesus. That's what you need. What you need is God. You don't just need something that's good. You need the thing that's better all the time. So Jesus is better than the fridge when you're feeling sad. Jesus is better than shopping. And the writer of Hebrews goes through all this theology about why Jesus is better. Let me read Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. If you've got your Bibles, have a look at it there. (coughs) 
<coughs> excuse me. Here's one of the final closing statements of the writer of Hebrews. He says this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is he's saying, this is the God that you need. This is the God that you've been made for. And as we walk through Hebrews, you remember back at the start, right at the very beginning in Hebrews 1 verse 1 to 3, we looked at the fact that God in Christ is a powerful, purifying, talking God. He communicates. He's not stuck in the land of the Old Testament prophets. He incarnates and he takes on flesh and he comes and he talks to you. He talks to you. He doesn't sit, he's not a drill sergeant that sits in heaven and barks orders to you. He comes and he takes on skin so he can live with you and he can talk with you and he can help you. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say in chapter 1 that Jesus is better than angels. He talks about the power of angels and says Jesus is better. In chapter 2 he says his salvation is better. The scriptures are clear. Everyone hear this today, Christian, non-Christian. There is no other saviour than Jesus Christ. The scriptures are clear, amen? So we need to know that, right? Because we go for other saviours, right? We go for other things when we're tired and when we're down and when we're frustrated and we're under pressure, we go for other saviours. And the scriptures would say, there is no other saviour. And the writer of Hebrews would say, there's no better saviour. He's the best one. You only want to go to him. In chapter 2, the writer goes on to say, not only is he a better saviour, but he's better than death. And death is the thing that beats all of us, isn't it? At some point in time. And he says, the writer of Hebrews says, he's better. He bettered death. He got in the ring with death and he took death down in the ring. In chapter 3, he goes on. And for the Jews, this was a huge call. He said, Jesus is better than Moses. And they're kind of, Moses is kind of, God has a sick day, like Moses probably will take over, all right? That's probably a bit blasphemous for the Jews, but that's kind of the deal. They, they put him up that high and, and the writer says, no, he's way better than Moses. And then in chapter 3 and 4, the writer of Hebrews says, he is bringing about and brought about a better rest than Joshua. So it was Joshua's job to go into the promised land and to bring about peace and rest in the promised land. And the writer of Hebrews says, he did an okay job. But Jesus' rest is so much better than that. Then in chapter 4 and 5, the uh, writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is a better mediator. He's a better high priest. And who here knows that you need a mediator between you and God? I mean, Nathan's just been talking about sin. What's sin? Sin is an open rebellion against God. That's a really, really stupid thing to do if you're weak and small to rebel and to fight against someone who's big and strong. True? It's dumb. It's like, what an idiot. But that's kind of what all of us have done. And the really cool thing is that God hasn't said, I want to go to war and annihilate these people. He said, I'm going to take on skin and I'm going to provide someone as a go-between, as a mediator between these people and me so we can get things sorted out. This is not a relational conflict that's going to get sorted out between the two people. Because both people, at the core, especially, well, I should say from our point of view, we're enemies of God, and if we had our chance, we'd kill him. And in fact, we did kill him when he came. 
He's a better mediator. In chapter 7, some of you may not be able to spell it or say it, but he's a better priest than Melchizedek. All right? We spend a lot of time with that mysterious character. He's a better priest. He's a high priest of a better covenant. Who knows when you read the Old Testament, it doesn't sound like a very good deal to you. Anyone feel like that? It's like I've got to have a whole flock of animals in my backyard so I can slaughter them every time I blow it. We've got a better deal, don't we? It's a better covenant. Chapter 9 and 10 of Hebrews. His sacrifice is a better sacrifice. It's better than bulls and goats. The writer specifically says that the bulls, the blood of bulls and goats actually never took away any sin because they weren't good enough. It needed to be a faith step that one day there was going to be a sacrifice come that would take away sin. His blood is better blood than every other blood of any animal that's ever been shed for sin in history. It's been said that at the Passover, when Jesus was crucified, that it was pretty typical for there to be a quarter of a million animals slaughtered in the Passover celebrations. And you think about the fact over Jewish history, how many animals have been slaughtered, and Hebrews chapter 12 says his blood is better blood than any animal that's ever been slaughtered. And you know what? You know what Hebrews 11 is? What's Hebrews 11? Faith chapter, right? You know what those people in the faith chapter are saying? He's better than anything else. You get that? He's better. And so, you know what? I want to say to you, there's not that many people mentioned in Hebrews 11. But you know, in human history, there's millions, maybe billions of people who put their hand up and said, he's better than anything else. Does anyone here say amen to that? Yeah, all right. See, the point is, Jesus is God and you need God. You were made for him in the first place. When you don't depend upon him and go to him, you find a replacement and it's not as good. You need to get the thing that's better. You get my point? You've got to go for better. (laughs) The problem with replacements is that they don't meet where we're at. And the writer of Hebrews is faced with some people who either want to give up, feel like they want to give up, they've given up, or maybe they're trying to stand strong. And he would say to them, stick with the one that's better. So there's three points I'm going to fly through really quick. And you can look at the scripture up on the screen there to see these. Then may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now... He's a God of what? Peace. Just got to think about that for a minute. Lack of peace is hell, isn't it? It's hard to handle. People say things like, I need a break. Just give me a break. I just want everything to stop. Why does everything have to go wrong? Why do they have to treat me this way? Why did they have to say that to me? I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle the pressure. And God would say to anyone here who's thought those things in the last week, you know what he'd say? He'd say, I'm the God of peace. And you need to know that in, the, in biblical terms, peace is not just sitting down in a recliner chair and relaxing. Peace, in the Old Testament, one of the words for peace is shalom. 
And shalom has got more of a sense of wholeness and well-being. It actually describes the ideal human state individually and communally. It's actually the ultimate gift from God. It's about peace and prosperity, material well-being, good harvests, safety from wild beasts and enemies. So, I mean, you just got to pause there, don't you? And you just go, like if I was to ask you, does our world need a God of peace? Does it? It does. It needs a God of peace. Because we actually need someone who's powerful, who can come in and be constantly and persistently building peace in our world. More than that, we need someone who's going to come in and constantly and persistently build peace within us. I don't know whether you noticed it, but I'm not sure there's a week go by. For me, where I'm peaceful the whole week. And see, God's not just coming in to bring peace as a concept. He's coming in to bring the conditions of peace as well. He's working in you. He's working in me so that we come to a position and we live in a position of peace. And that will be an amazing day when we get to go to heaven, won't it? For those who love him. Because that will be a kingdom peace. You will not be able to go anywhere in God's kingdom in heaven where there will not be peace. You're not going to walk in on a house and see two people fighting. There's not going to be a war going on somewhere. That is going to be a a place of complete peace. There's no sickness. There's no trouble. But peace. And peace is associated with the ruler of that place and he is the God of peace. The second thing that we get out of this benediction. Now may the God of peace who again, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great, what? Shepherd. This is good news. Not only do we need peace, but we need a shepherd, don't we? Who here knows they need a shepherd? You do. You need a shepherd. I'm going to read you a kid's story. So if you're a kid, you can watch this. All right? And everyone else? I love kids' stories, so uh, I think there's some profound stuff. This is called Cecil the Sheep. What sort of animals does this man have? Rabbits? No, he doesn't have rabbits. Giraffes? Well, he might have giraffes, but they don't get, a, get mentioned in this story. Sheep? Yes, he has sheep. 100 sheep. Including Cecil. One day Cecil was daydreaming. Boring, boring, boring. All I do is hang around with sheep, eat grass, wander down to the river for a little bit of a drink and eat more grass. Maybe I could run away and get a bike or join a band. Cecil looked right, Cecil looked left. He jumped over his rock and he hid. From behind the rock, he snuck behind the tree. And from behind the tree, he ran over the hills to the mountains. Yes, the mountains. I'm a good... Kid story reader, aren't I? <laughs> he reached the mountains and discovered they were high and steep. Cecil was not discouraged. He began climbing higher and higher. And it got steeper and steeper and steeper. He climbed and climbed until he couldn't climb up and he couldn't climb down. Cecil was stuck. I have to say this, he looks sheepish, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, kidding. 
<laughs> he sat on the edge of the ledge and started thinking, I could shout for help, but what will happen if the shepherd finds me? He might whack me with a big stick, crack, then grab me by the leg and drag me home, bump, 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 and tie me to a tree without any dinner. Now, I think this is more profound than just a cursory surface level reading. Because here's the thing, sometimes we get into trouble, don't we? And we do stuff we know God's not happy with it, and then we end up in this place where we go, I know he's the only saviour, but I'm really scared about asking him because he might be really cranky with me. True? And you just need to know, if you feel like that, you're not probably thinking in terms of God being your shepherd because that's what a shepherd does. He gets dumb sheep out of trouble. All right? So if you ever get in a place and you go, I'm a really dumb sheep, and you come up and tell me or one of the leadership here or your community group leader will probably go, yeah, you're a really dumb sheep. Your great hope is not that you're not a dumb sheep. Your great hope is that a dumb sheep has a good shepherd. True? So we'll agree with you. Yeah, you're a dumb sheep. We're all dumb sheep. Do I get myself out on ledges sometimes and I can't get down? All the time. Do you? I don't know your story, but I, I, I'm just going to answer for you. Yes, you do. All right? Because we're all dumb sheep. Back home, the shepherd was counting his sheep. One, Michael, two, Kevin, three, Annette, four, Lucy, 96, Meredith, 97, the other Meredith, 98, Abdul, 99, Emily, 96, 97, 98. Uh, Cecil is missing. The shepherd ran to the rock and found hoof prints leading behind the tree. It's kind of getting the AFP kind of feel to it now, doesn't it? He ran behind the tree and found hoof prints leading over the hills to the mountains. Yes, the mountains. The mountains were high and steep. The shepherd climbed higher and higher. And they got steeper and steeper. When he thought he couldn't climb any further and wasn't sure if he could climb back down, he heard a noise. Bah! There you go. That's a very profound theological statement. Cecil was saved again, looking a bit sheepish. <laughs> what did the shepherd do? Did he whack Cecil with his stick? Crack? No. Did he grab Cecil by the leg and drag him down the mountain? Bump, bump, bump. No. Do you think maybe Cecil might have deserved that? Yeah, I think so. Anyone else agreeing? You're all very gracious people today, aren't you? <laughs> he he kind of did. did. He did a dumb thing. But he's got a good shepherd, right? So what does a shepherd do? He was so glad he found his lost sheep that he put Cecil on his shoulders and carried him home. When they got home, did the shepherd tie Cecil to a tree without any dinner? No. Instead, he threw a huge party and everyone stayed up way past their bedtime. (laughs) Cecil, the lost sheep, had been found. You need a good shepherd. It looks like the author of Hebrews has drawn... um, his idea of Jesus being a shepherd from Isaiah 63 verse 11. So if you've got your Bibles here, you can uh, have a look at that. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Who is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? 
You know, what the writer of uh, Isaiah 63, Isaiah is saying here is, yeah, Moses was some kind of shepherd for the Israelites, but this main shepherd was actually God. He was the one that was orchestrating everything. And you just need to know, I, I heard quite a while ago someone say, uh, talk about the difference between cattle and sheep. You know, tell me that you can drive cattle from behind, but you need to lead sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And you just need to know that Jesus is a perfect shepherd for you. And you might have leaders uh, in a church, and if you're at the project, you've got leaders like Diff and Nathan and myself, and we play some kind of shepherding role. We're not the ultimate shepherd. The ultimate shepherd is Jesus. We're just trying to take our cues from him about what he wants us to do. Point three. You need a God who equips and works in you. So I'm going to go right back to the scripture. says uh, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever this is really really good news you actually have a God who equips you and works in you you know one of the things that um, gets talked about often in uh, counseling and uh, psychological circles is uh, the human response of fight flight or freeze I think most of us have a tendency toward fear or confidence. Some of us are probably those kind of people where something comes up and we just go, I don't know how I'm going to do that. And some people go at it and some people are inclined either to freeze or run away from it. We tend to have a natural tendency toward either despair or self-confidence. Either doubt or anxiety when it comes to our own abilities. Sorry, doubt and anxiety or self-confidence when it comes to our own abilities. Though failure has a way of exposing us when we actually feel self-confident. And the really good news here today is if you're the person who's really confident and you just want to grab the bull by the horns or grab the thing by the scruff of the neck, you just need to know that you need to draw from God to get things done and not from yourself. It's actually not your own abilities that are going to win the day in the end. It's only God's action in you and through you that's going to win the, win the day. My dad had this crazy saying that he, I must have, if I had 10 bucks every time he said it, um, I'd be able to just fund everyone's wages probably in this church for the next 10 years. But uh, he used to say to people, he goes, on your own, you can't blow the hair off a peanut. And it's kind of true. And the good news about this scripture here in Hebrews 13 is the author wants you to know, for those who are confident, he wants them to know it's God's work in you that makes you able. It's God's work through you and for you that makes you able. And for those who are nervous and who are fearful and anxious and get stuck in fear, you people need to know that God works in you and for you and through you. But the really cool thing about all of this is in spite of God working in you and for you and through you, you don't get lost. You notice that? He equips you so that you may do his will. So you can't be passive. The writer of Hebrews says, you're not going to get away with just saying, no, God's going to bring it about in me. Well, yeah, God is going to bring it about in you, but you need to do it. But I hope you can see here that it's God who's actually doing 
the heavy lifting. He's the one that is the critical component. Yes, we need to obey. Yes, we need to follow the equipping and the enabling that he's given us, but he's the one who ultimately does the heavy lifting. I'm just going to go to a scripture here. If you've got your Bibles there, you can open up to Philippians chapter 2. You can see a similar idea in Paul's uh, letter to the church at Philippi. There you go, you're getting a fast forward, Cecil. Look at this. I love this. Philippians 2, 12 to 13. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And if you stop there, you go, oh, we've got to get to work really, really hard. And you know what? I think we do need to get to work. That's what he's saying. But then he goes straight on to say, for it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so you get the sense here, there is a partnership. But I hope you can see there that the heavy lifting is actually done by God, not done by us. He's the one that's working us to will in the right direction. And he's also working in us to work in the right direction. So when you get up in the morning and you want to please God and you want to follow God, you don't at the end of the day go, didn't I do a great job today? Because you know who it was? It was God who was working in you to will and to work. He was the one that did the job through the day. He's the one that ought to get the glory. I'm just going to finish on a couple of very practical notes. Because it's all well and good for me to stand up here and say, the one you're looking for is Jesus, but you just go, well, how do I get him? Well, the interesting thing is, the writer of Hebrews, the whole way through, has been telling you how you get this God and how you get him involved in your life. In chapter 2, he says you need to pay attention. Pay attention. And part, I mean, there's lots of practical things you can do to pay attention, right? I mean, even coming to church this morning is paying attention. Chapter 3, by exhorting one another. So... The writer of Hebrews is saying, what you need to do is you need to be in a place where someone can strongly encourage you. I mean, that's why the project, we just flog community groups all the time, not because we love community groups and it's like you're going to go to hell if you're not in one, but we love community because that's the way that God does most of his work. Okay? So you need to be in community, not just with your own family, with all of God's family, because you need to make a contribution to others and they need to make one to you. Chapter 4. The writer of Hebrews says, the way that you get God is by trusting what he says and having faith, which is really saying, I read a promise in the Bible and I bank on it. Chapter 4, the writer says, one of the ways that you get God is by engaging with God's word. So you read it. The word of God is powerful. It's a two-edged sword. You know that scripture out of Hebrews 4? It cuts down deep. You get involved with it. You read it. You read it every day. You meditate on it. You think about it. You memorize it. You study it. Well, it's a bit of a sad state of affairs in Western Christianity by and large is that there's a lot of Christians that are really struggling just to read the Bible. And if you go back far enough, people set, set aside time for devotional reading of the Bible. They set aside time for Bible study where they would read commentaries, and they even set aside time for meditation on the Bible, where they just take one verse and just meditate on it for a lot of minutes, half an hour. And some of you go, oh, okay, you, just, you know, you just 
getting all legalistic on me or putting the pressure on me. No, I just want you to get God. That's all I want. <laughs> and one way that you get God, that you get what you're looking for, is that you read his, what he says. I actually think it's an incredibly gracious thing of God that he's a talker. Because we need someone to talk to us. In chapter 4, the writer says, another way you get God is to draw near to him for mercy and grace. So every time you need something, every time you need help, you don't be like Cecil and just go, I don't know whether I should ask him for help. You go and you get it, all right? That's how you get God. You just keep going for help and you pray and you talk to him. Chapter 6 talks about going on to maturity. Chapter 10 is very specific about meeting together and stirring one another up and encouraging one another. Chapter 10 also says, don't sin deliberately. If you want to get God, you need to stop sinning deliberately. Chapter 10 also talks about persevering in the midst of sufferings. Believing that God is a rewarder of those who seek him shows up in chapter 11. So you just want to be going to God to get good stuff from him all the time. Chapter 11 also talks about the way that you get God is you don't focus on the stuff that you have so much, you focus on the homeland that's to come. And chapter 12 says, lay aside sin. That's a practical thing. Stop doing the garbage and you get more of God. Chapter 12 also says, God's a good dad and he disciplines, so embrace his discipline. Receive it and grow. Strive for holiness. And then we have all the practical things in uh, Hebrews 13, which we've been covering over the last five or six weeks. We're finished. That's Hebrews. But I hope it's not the end of Hebrews in your life. Because I think it's been incredibly rich. It's been a very, very deep thing. And I think, I hope, I mean, this morning I just found myself skim reading through Hebrews twice this morning in preparation for this message. And it's just, I've just been so blessed by being able to preach through it and study it. And I hope that you've benefited from that also. So what I'd like to do in closing today is I'd like to pray the Hebrews 13 benediction over you. So I want you to stand with me. Let's pray. And may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.